When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, uh, here today to continue our 25 years series, a loving look back at the Ravens' uh, history in their first 25 years, a really glorious history it's been. Today, uh, to discuss with me kind of an esoteric topic on what might have been uh, is Chris Schisler. Uh Chris, how you doing? I'm doing really, really well. Just, just good talk some football. All right. Outstanding. Looking forward to it. And uh, Chris, this is kind of your topic, but but introduce it in the kind of the way you would. All right. So inflection points, kind of ways things could have gone differently. Um, moments in Ravens history where one little thing could have changed a ripple effect, but not necessarily focusing on playoffs, because I think we all say, oh, man, 2011, we should have won the Super Bowl. 2011, the Ravens should have beat the Giants, but they didn't get the opportunity because of Lee Evans, Billy Cundiff. I think that's kind of kicking a dead horse. Um, what I wanted to talk about today with just some moments in the regular season and really decisions the Ravens made, I guess, that – it went up or it went down. Fantastic. Where should we start? I think we can start anywhere you want. I think 2011, since I brought it up, is a good place to begin. Um, 2011, the Ravens lost to four teams who weren't very good. The uh, two games that really stunk 
was a 7-12 game against the Jaguars and a 17-22 game against the Seahawks. If the Ravens win those games against winnable opponents, you're looking at maybe a 14-2 season and you're looking at home field in the playoffs instead of going to New England. Yeah, it was it was the Ravens had never lost games to bad teams during the Harbaugh era until 2011, but they lost to Jacksonville 12 to 7, they lost to Seattle 22-17. We went to both of those games. They lost to the Chargers 34 to 14. That's a lot of a game a lot of people forget, but the Chargers are not very good in 2011. And Antoine Barnes had a big game against them as I recall. Might have had four sacks in that game. And their fourth loss was to Tennessee in week two. We went to that one also. Boy, we had some bad luck on road games this year. And they got beat by a bad Titans team 26 to 13 to start the, or start the season the second game after they just destroyed the Steelers at home 35 to 7. You're thinking there's no cap on where this season could be. Yeah, and I think that was actually why we fell to Tennessee. I think they were a little too high on their own stuff on their home supply. And I think Tennessee had a good game plan that week and well, things didn't go well, but I, we talk about 2011 constantly because that was a Super Bowl caliber team. 2011 was better than the team that won it the following year. I, I agree by far. And I would say even the best of the five years, of the first five Harbaugh years was actually the 2009 team, which went nine and seven, but had the best offensive line by far of that group. So, uh, it's it's amazing that that 2012 team, as flawed as it was, was able to get through the playoffs and and some of the miraculous things, some of the outstanding play, obviously of Joe Flacco uh, to win the Super Bowl. But the but the four teams before it, probably every single one of them was better. Yeah, it was really frustrating because every year it felt like we were climbing the mountain. Then when it felt like there's no way they're climbing the mountain, they they put the flag at the summit and they go, "Yep, it's ours." Okay, so let's let's pick another point uh, in, that that you'd like to from uh, from Ravens history, Ravens history. That's a that's a really what could have been different. I, I think two thousand eight is a really interesting idea because you talk about again the Ravens go to an AFC Championship on the road that year. They went to Pittsburgh two thousand eight. I actually went to that game in Baltimore that they lost for Santonio Holmes had the controversial touchdown. I honestly told my best friend after after this a thousand times, I wanted it on my tombstone that the ball did not cross the plane. Well, I, I don't know if the ball crossed the plane or not, but I don't know how you reverse that call. I, I have That's no the problem. Was the call on the field. How you reverse that call? Call on the field, not a touchdown. I don't know how you reverse it, and that would have been. Uh, they would have had another chance to get in. Of course, the Ravens are very good at stopping short yardage situations, so uh, we don't know if it would have worked in or not, but. It certainly was what it was. And then the, the Ravens, of course, playing on the road. They had a chance to win the division. They still needed additional things to happen after that to win the division. That was not going to be enough to do it on their own. They would have split the series with, with uh, uh, Pittsburgh, but they would have had a chance to win the division. And then mm-hmm. they were certainly a wild card. Uh, we saw the first era of great Flacco road playoff football. Uh, that uh, 2008 team, and he would c- continue with road playoff wins pretty much every year. Um, and then they uh, they got beat, of course, in that AFC Championship game. Still looked like they had a chance, you know. That uh, it was it, as badly as they played in that game, as much as they were outplayed by Pittsburgh, uh, they really came back and, and had a chance on the in the last six minutes or so to drive down the field and score a winning touchdown. 
Yeah, and Flacco and Palomalo was a power dynamic that was very frustrating until all of a sudden it wasn't later on. But the power dynamic of the Ravens and Steelers was really they were that hump the Ravens going to get over. And your hump that you can't get over is a division rival who's a perennial playoff team. That's a huge problem. So when the Ravens finally turned the tide in 2011 and it became a more even series, that really is the story of Ravens Steelers and Joe Flacco's maturation. And Joe Flacco grew up by that 92 yard drive in 2011 in Pittsburgh when we all kind of know, Oh, it's happening again. And then it didn't. So, I mean, if Joe Flacco doesn't grow up, if the power doesn't change a little bit, if John Harbaugh doesn't realize, you know what? I think I have Mike Tomlin's number. The Ravens' history could have been a lot different after that point because getting the edge on the Steelers is always number one. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the previous year in Pittsburgh was the Flacco to Hushmanzada touchdown where they drove about 50 yards on four plays in the final 50 seconds or so. That was the game when Ben Roethlisberger was out, uh, I believe, for the suspension. Four games. Okay. All right. This was for the bathroom incident. Yes. All right. Big man went down to Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Fair enough. Let's uh, let's pick another one. So we've got 2008 and 2011 in the bag so far. All right. I kind of want to talk about the Ravens after the Super Bowl. They get rid of Trent Dilfer. They bring in Elvis Gerr back. You're thinking, okay, we're bringing in, I believe, a pro bowler, uh, Elvis Gerr back. You know, we have a championship defense. We're going to keep the defense together. And Jamal Lewis gets hurt. And we got Terry Allen in the backfield. And, again, we lose to Pittsburgh. I mean, that was the beginning of losing to Pittsburgh in the playoffs. Um, But 2001, we keep the band together. And we end up having a salary cap purge after that season. So the the 2001 – the things they did to try and keep that team together are very extensive. So they signed two quarterbacks, not one. They signed Randall Cunningham as a backup. They signed uh, Gerback on what fortunately was a fairly well-structured contract they could get out of under after one year. Uh, but they also signed Leon Searcy, who never played a down for the Ravens and was supposed to be a great right tackle. Uh, that was a you know obviously a very a failed move anyway, let's say it. They had the injuries that, that were significant. Now every team faces injuries, but you get most of your offense uh, uh, to go down with uh, Jamal Lewis. That's obviously very significant. They had, in 2001, they had the deepest defensive line, I would say, of all time. And you have to look at the players who were there, but they had the next generation was there and the old generation was also there. So they had Burnett, McCrary, and Adams and Siragusa. But they also had Kelly Gregg as a situational pass rusher, incredible as that may seem, in 2001. They had uh, uh, Adelis Thomas there who was playing, you know, started at defensive tackle, moved to kind of a five-tech defensive end. Then he moved to outside linebacker as, as time moved on. Um, they had Marcus Douglas was already there in 2001. I'm trying to think of who's, yet, who's the other person I'm forgetting um, who's in that group. But incredibly deep defensive line with eight guys who were starters at some point in their career. Uh, you know, playing well. Yeah, that defense was everything, and they kind of knew it. I think they thought, well, 
if we have one of the best defenses of all time, we have to do everything we can to keep it together. My problem with that was the defense was so good, you could lose pieces, get a little better on offense, prioritize a little better on offense, and then you would be able to keep sustaining. I think Ozzie Newsom learned his lesson that when he put things on a credit card, when you try to keep the band together longer than it should, it's going to burst and it's going to leave you in a bad spot. Yeah, incredibly, that the Ravens did not really have a franchise quarterback at that time, and they still had a salary cap purge. That right there tells you it's unusual that things happen that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can, but it did. The Ravens were, as McFarlane would tell you, were, were in cap hell since they first came to Baltimore in 96. So this was a, you know, a growing bubble that eventually burst. Uh, but uh, but anyway, it was it was quite a purge. That 2002 season, you and I have talked about it. Uh, very exciting in terms of a young Ravens team. Tons of turnover on the defense. Lots of young players, Reed and Weaver and uh, Kelly Gregg, Adilis Thomas, getting their first significant amount of playing time. Uh, very exciting turnover of that defense. Yeah, I really thought the uh, 2002 Ravens were the scrappiest Ravens that we had had to that point. I thought they were the team that wasn't supposed to do it. Uh, you got the introduction of a young Ed Reed. Um, he ended up you know, making an awesome block on special teams. That's really one of his first big moments when Chris McAllister had that uh, field goal return for a touchdown um, and against the Broncos on Monday night. I, that 2002 team was about as fun to watch. for I, At the time, I was 12, and I just remember that being an emotional season where I was like, so down at the beginning thinking, oh, it's going to be, oh, it's going to be. And then it was, we had a shot the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I sure did. And they they kept flirting with 500 for a long time. Then they finally got there. And with two weeks to go, they had to take care of the Browns at home. And they had them. They had the Browns in, what, a four or five-point hole or whatever it was with under two minutes to go. And Tim Couch, aided by a long DPI, uh, drove them down the field and they scored. I have an unpopular opinion about Chris Redman. I think if Chris Redman doesn't have the back spasms, doesn't get hurt. We don't force Kyle Bowler. Now, Billick was going to do that one way or the other. Yeah. But I I think Redmond had a chance to be a franchise quarterback to get us as a Band-Aid to someone better. But, nope, we had to go down the Bowler hole. Well, it would have been not Flacco. You know, it's – you, you you take the good with the bad sometimes, but they had a long they did have a long dearth under the Billick era of never having a franchise quarterback, which was kind of unfortunate for him, certainly. Yeah, and then when you finally have a quarterback that'll get you something in two thousand six, it's Steve McNair on his last legs, and right. that lasted one season. And then two thousand seven, it was quarterback hot potato because you're balancing between McNair. Bowler and Troy Smith, and it seemed like they were trying to see who could do the worst. <laughs> they were all they were all bad. Bowler was was a good backup in 06. He actually had over a hundred rating. But uh, but they, when the three were together, were competing for the top spot in 2007. It was back to very bad. All of them were quite quite awful. Uh, okay, well let's let's pick another moment because the 2002 season certainly one that that got the franchise turned around. To me, uh, it's it's a way that great franchises don't fear change. So the 2019 Ravens, you know, they lost a ton of talent from that 18 team, and CJ Mosley at the at the forefront of that, but lots of other players too. 
and and people were very concerned about that you know that that turnover couldn't possibly end well. And it was surprising. It was the one big money free agent they signed was the guy who really failed them, Earl Thomas. Yeah, Earl Thomas. You think if you get that middle of the field safety, you, that's really all Don Martindale needed at the time. Um, but Earl Thomas just didn't click. He just didn't click in Baltimore. And I, I, I think part of that might be attitude. I think part of that might be he had done something the same way his whole career in Seattle and he didn't want to adjust. But, I mean, Seattle's defense has never been complicated. You, they just do it really well. So I wonder if Earl Thomas and Martindale were never going to work. It's, it's quite possible. Obviously, Chuck Clark being there is something that, that Earl Thomas immediately recognized. Hey, they've got a guy who can call the defensive signals. I don't know why they need me. Um, either way, I would say attitude played a big part. Uh, th- there's never been any part of Earl Thomas, in, including his teammates liking him, which they didn't. Uh, you know, his his uh, his off field antics, which have been some, you know, well documented and not particularly good uh, or, or, you know, a lot of the things he did on the field that, that you'd point to and you say this is representative of good attitude. Ed Reed was a freelancer on the field like Earl Thomas, but Ed Reed was an incredible studier of film and understanding of tendencies of the opposing quarterback. So, you know, people used to complain that Ed Reed was a gambler. Well, you know, we, we have Marcus Peters now as a gambler, too. He's a great gambler. That's what it really amounts to. He's not he's not playing against the house. He's he is the house. Yeah. And Earl Thomas is actually the reverse. Eric Weddle, Eric Weddle choosing to come to Baltimore over Pittsburgh. And it's I think one of the biggest shames for the Ravens is Eric Weddle gave so much of this franchise and the years he was here. Just demoralizing, just demoralizing. You had Antonio Brown reaching over the uh, goal line in Christmas. Oh, I just, I, I just, those three, that, that period of mediocrity was just so hard. But the worst part about it was Eric Weddle is a Ravens legend. He played like a Raven. He's the everything you want for a Ravens player. And the absolute reverse Earl Thomas. It just, mm-hmm. And we didn't give him a ring. We didn't even give him a playoff. He, he got a he got a playoff game in 18, but that was... That oh, that's, was that's he right. He played 16, 17, and 18 for the Ravens. Uh, then he lost uh, to his old team. Yeah, yeah, that was unfortunate, but, uh, but it was what it was. All right, how about another point? All right, so one thing that I, I kind of think about is the moment where the Ravens decided to go all in on Lamar Jackson. And it was when we're losing to the chargers in that playoff game. I know we're not really focusing on playoffs, but he kept Jackson in there. I think if he went back to Flacco, as many fans wanted, um, I think history would be written completely different from that point on. I think Jackson still would have been the quarterback of the future, but it would have been a completely different 2019 start, in my opinion. I think that gave Lamar a lot going into the offseason. All right, let me take the other side of that coin, because I, 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 I think I think differently. And the first is that, that uh, Flacco had never been successful facing a heavy four-man rush uh, where they dropped seven to cover. And, of course, you remember that playoff game? They played seven defensive backs on a very high percentage of snaps, 
Some, it might have been all but one. They played seven defensive backs. So their, their defensive line really won the game. That, that was always Flacco's, Flacco's kryptonite, Flacco's nightmare, was getting a really effective four-man pass rush against him, getting moved off the spot, and then having to work against defensive backs and trying to find the open man. I think he would have been destroyed in the second half. And I was there, of course, and, and saying the same things that, boy, they better put Flacco in because this is the last year. I wasn't. I wasn't arguing that they should put Flacco in. I was saying that was such a good thing that they kept Jackson in. I, I got you. I got you. I'm just saying I don't think it would have really made a difference because they still would have lost that game. Flacco just would have lost it differently. And Lamar Jackson still would have been the quarterback in 2019. And I don't think the offense would have – I don't think he would have done anything different in terms of the offseason program to step up his game. Fair? I think it's semantics I think on my end, so I'll give it to you. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, um, anything else about that 2018 season in terms of, of Jackson making his mark on the team? Uh, I, I think 2018, when you start against the Bengals and you let a guy run 27 times in his first start, um, at the quarterback position, I was like, okay, they're going to do whatever they have to to make this work. And I think that was the first sign. But against the Raiders, when he hit that deep pass to Mark Andrews, I said, okay, yep, that's all I needed. I just needed a glimpse that that was there. I just needed a glimpse that that was there. They're running the makeshift offense. I needed to see signs. And in that regular season game, he hit Andrews again for that one very important touchdown uh, against the Chargers that mm-hmm. helped us stay alive for the playoffs. Um, so Jackson always showed flashes. I If they didn't let Jackson just be himself, that would have been a nightmare. Yeah, it would it would have been a mistake, and and they they knew what they were doing, and they I think they probably already knew what they wanted to do in 2019. At that point, it was interesting. Morningweg was at the helm still of the offense for the end of 2018, but it was really it was already a lot of the run concepts from Greg Roman that were being uh, meted out at that point. So uh, uh, they got they got more schematic about how they use Jackson you know, out of pistol most of the time and, and using him as an outside threat in 2019. Uh, but, but they had, uh, you know, that, that was, it was an interesting transition. Uh, it did, did you, I'm not sure it matters for this, for this kind of discussion, but would you have kept morning morning leg around? Cause supposedly Harbaugh wanted to in a different role uh, to just change his position and leave Roman on st- or leave Roman as the offensive coordinator. I understand why he'd want to leave him on, but if I was Marty Morningwick, I don't know that I could even, I, out of a matter of pride, I don't think I could do that. And I, I wonder if they're kind of doing the same thing they did to Morningwick with Roman, with Keith Williams coming in, with T. Martin in there. They're definitely showing a huge change in the passing game. And the passing concepts are attacking the entire field rather than just the middle and overuse of tight ends. I mean, Josh Oliver got involved, but it's not like he's going to have 31 catches this year. In 2019, we had... Boyle have, I think, 31 and Hayden Hurst at 30. So, I mean, I wonder if we're doing the same thing to Greg Roman that we did with Morningwick. 
it's not obvious to me that they're planning to get rid of him. It was obvious that they were that Roman was the head was the uh, offensive coordinator in, in waiting with Keith Williams and I think T Martin. They brought a lot to the passing game and and probably it's conceptual and not just route running and skills development of the wide receivers, though that's significant. You see, if you go to camp, you'll see T. Martin lines up at the release point and really coaches them up on that. And um, uh, Williams lines up at the top of the route, and he's all about putting your foot in the ground and planning and showing moves and whatnot. He's, he's extremely detailed, and, and they've, I've never seen the receivers coach so aggressively. But neither one of them says to me, the, either of these guys is taking over, obviously, for, for Roman in terms of scheme. And in fact, the, the Ravens would have to, I think, simplify their scheme significantly to allow either of them to have that job. I think it would be inherent in, in what they would do. Yeah, I don't necessarily think they want to get rid of Greg Roman at all. I'm just, I think they're hedging their bets there. I think they're saying, okay, well, if history goes, we need another Jim Caldwell, we need another Greg Roman. We do this constantly under Harbaugh. I honestly have thought if Harbaugh wasn't allowed to pick his offensive coordinators, how this franchise would have gone with offensive coordinators. Because I don't think Kubiak was his first choice in 2014. He was easily the best. And if if Kubiak doesn't come in 2014, talk about inflection points, you don't get that year from Joe Flacco. 27 touchdowns, what, 12 interceptions, 11 interceptions. It was a really solid year with a run game, play action. I I, I honestly could watch that 2014 season as a screensaver. Right. It was, it was definitely a fun season. That team was so close. They lost to the Deflate Gate Patriots, and the Patriots were exposed. Of course, the next week, not not in terms of the scoreboard, but for their <laughs> ball inflation <laughs> deal. But uh, uh, yeah, they were very close, and they to, to lose that game, unfortunately, in New England that they led twice by fourteen was uh, was a loss at an opportunity for a Super Bowl that they definitely could have won. But the important thing there is the Ravens have since then prioritized the defensive back position and the depth of that position. And they almost never go through a draft without a guy in the fourth or the fifth round put there. And then they develop a look, look at uh, Anthony Averett right now. He's a homegrown guy at the cornerback position. We gave him plenty of time to get there too. And right. he's having a very solid season. I know he's had some moments that weren't great. I think the Colts game was a very bad game for him, but Let's be honest, the games where the Ravens defensive backs have struggled this year, they've all kind of struggled together. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Averitt's having a great year personally, and, and Clark and Elliott would fit into that same mold of uh, incredible ability for this franchise to find defensive backs in late rounds and particularly safeties. Uh, there, if you look at the history of Ravens dimebacks, it's all sixth round guys and, and whatnot uh, or, or later. Uh, UDFAs and and guys they pulled off the scrap heap from other teams. It's just it's it's remarkable. But they're uh, they've done very well. Um, th- th- you know some of the cornerbacks they've all otherwise been able to acquire from free agency. If you go back to Corey Graham, have been extremely good as well. They're, he's not the only example. The two the two thousand team had three journeyman guys playing the nickel diamond quarter role. So you you really have uh, uh, you know quite a history of being able to find defensive backs cheap. Defensive lineman is the same same story. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Did you, any other points you want to make? Um, I think those are my main points. Do you have any inflection points that were kind of 
I, I think these are good ones. I kind of like to work with the guest on this. If I had to, if I had to pick an inflection point, you know, the, the transition to, to Jackson would be a big one. And you kind of hit on that one, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting over the hump, uh, with the, um, the Steelers in 2010, 2011 would be another, um, I'd say the 99 team. If I had to add one, uh, learning how to win during that four-game streak at the end of the season would be the one I would really add. That's uh, uh, you know, that was a team that was at that point four and seven. They won four straight games that included a huge win over Tennessee, forty-one to fourteen, who was who would end up being the AFC champions and uh, big wins. Otherwise, they had the big win at Pittsburgh, where Cadre went off off crazy. And uh, they 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 beat the Saints thirty one to eight. They had their first shutout against the Bengals twenty two to nothing. So it was a series of outstanding games that they uh, they won there before they lost to the Patriots to to uh, in the final finale of the season to to lose out on their winning record. But I thought that was really a, a turning point for the franchise that that four game winning streak specifically. It, maybe two thousand doesn't happen without that. I like that idea. Yeah. yeah. All right, Chris, a pleasure talking football with you always. Uh, thanks for coming on. Tell people where they can talk football with you if they want to. All right. So I started my own website after uh, being on a bigger platform for a while. I started my own website, purpleandblacknest.com. You can uh, follow that website. We basically just talk everything Ravens. We actually, now that it's my own website, sometimes I branch out of the NFL. Every now and then I do college stuff. Um, I do a lot of NFL draft stuff. Is got a, I've already started doing my NFL draft stuff. So that that's exciting. And then at footballman58 on Twitter is the main place to find me. So, yeah, that that's what I'm doing. And I'm really excited about it. It's going really well. Do you have a, a podcast going now, or is it is it all articles? And it's all articles at the moment. We're working on the podcast thing. That's that's coming. That's down the pipe. All right, fair enough. Uh, a pleasure to have you on, Chris. And uh, other folks out there, if you're looking to do a 25 years podcast like this one, uh, nice specific narrow topic. Uh, send it to me on a DM on Twitter, and I'll get right back to you. We'll get you on air as quickly as we can. I still got about 15 more to record this season. Uh, so uh, would love to have you, and there's still plenty of room. Uh, Chris, thanks again for being on. Thank you. It's an honor. Keep doing what you do. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.